Hi everyone, welcome back to the MetaBullet Step 2 and 3 podcast. In today's episode, we cover the topic of endometrial cancer found under the oncology section at MedBullets.com. Let's begin with the clinical snapshot. A 72-year-old woman presents to her gynecologist for vaginal bleeding. She denies any vaginal pain or trauma and is not on any medications. A transvaginal ultrasound is performed, which demonstrates endometrial thickening of 6 millimeters. She undergoes an endometrial biopsy, which is consistent with endometrial cancer. Let's continue with an introduction to endometrial cancer. As a general overview, remember that this refers to malignancy affecting the endometrium of the uterus. With regards to epidemiology, remember that this most commonly affects women over 40 years of age. Risk factors include an elevated estrogen exposure, such as unopposed estrogen use, polycystic ovarian syndrome, early menarche, or estrogen-producing tumor. Other risk factors include obesity, nulliparity or history of infertility, long-term tamoxifen use, Lynch syndrome, and a family history. In terms of the pathophysiology, remember that estrogen acts on estrogen receptors in the endometrium, promoting endometrial proliferation and increasing the risk of cancer development. However, normally progesterone inhibits proliferation of the endometrium, thus abnormalities in progesterone lead to unopposed endometrial proliferation. Conditions that are associated include cervical adenocarcinoma and primary ovarian cancer. Moving on to the presentation, symptoms will include abnormal uterine bleeding. If this is postmenopause, then any bleeding is considered abnormal uterine bleeding. If the patient is 45 to menopause, then frequent, heavy, or prolonged bleeding is considered abnormal. If the patient is less than 45 years of age, then persistent bleeding may be concerning in patients with risk factors, such as those with chronic anovulation and obesity. In terms of further imaging, transvaginal ultrasound is indicated as an alternative to endometrial biopsy in patients who cannot tolerate the in-office procedure. It helps to determine the endometrial thickness. Another option is hysteroscopy. This is indicated with dilation and curatage in cases where transvaginal ultrasound and endometrial biopsy is unremarkable. In terms of further studies, endometrial biopsy is indicated as first line in evaluating the endometrium for endometrial hyperplasia or endometrial cancer. With regards to the differential, make sure to think about a uterine leiomyoma, with differentiating factors being that this will present with an enlarged smooth muscle tumor. Also think about adenomyosis, with the differentiating factor being that this will present with endometrial gland and stroma in the myometrium. With regards to treatment, remember that this depends on whether the tumor is confined to the uterus or it has metastasized. However, treatment involves surgery with or without chemotherapy, hormonal therapy, and radiation. Specifically, medical options include progestin therapy. This is indicated for endometrial cancer confined to the uterus in women who want to preserve fertility. Surgical options include total hysterectomy and bilateral salpingo-oophorectomy. This is indicated as the initial management for endometrial cancer. Remember that this is performed along with pelvic and para-aortic lymphadenectomy, as well as collecting peritoneal fluid for cytology. And lastly, Complications related to endometrial cancer include anemia and metastasis. Now that we've discussed the major points relating to endometrial cancer, let's walk through some questions to apply what we've learned and get a sense of how the topic might be tested. For the first question, consider the following clinical scenario. A 56-year-old woman presents to her gynecologist for vaginal bleeding for the past three days. Her bleeding has not subsided and is not associated with pain. She denies any vaginal or abdominal trauma and reports feeling well otherwise. She underwent menopause at 52 years of age and has not had a menstrual period since then. 
She has a history of hypertension and obesity, for which she is treating with diet and exercise. She is currently not on any medications. Pelvic exam is unremarkable. Her BMI is 31. Which of the following is the most appropriate test to confirm the diagnosis? And the answer choices are Choice 1. Dilation and curatage Choice 2. Endometrial biopsy Choice 3. Hysterosalpingogram Choice 4. Hysteroscopy Or Choice 5. Transvaginal ultrasound The best answer to this question is Choice 2. Endometrial biopsy this patient is presenting with postmenopausal bleeding, obesity, and an otherwise normal pelvic exam. The most appropriate next step is confirming endometrial biopsy. Unexpected postmenopausal bleeding in cases where menopausal women are not on postmenopausal hormone therapy requires evaluation for endometrial carcinoma. The most common cause of postmenopausal bleeding is vaginal mucosal or endometrial atrophy. Obesity, which is defined as a BMI greater than 30, granulosa cell tumors, and estrogen therapy are risk factors for developing endometrial hyperplasia and subsequent endometrial carcinoma. This is due to unopposed estrogen effects on the endometrium, which can result in hyperplasia and eventual carcinoma. The first step in evaluating the endometrium is with an endometrial biopsy or with transvaginal ultrasound. Endometrial biopsy is preferred due to its high sensitivity, low cost, and low complication rate. In patients who cannot tolerate an office endometrial biopsy, a transvaginal ultrasound is acceptable, and a normal endometrium is suggested by an endometrial lining that is 4 millimeters thick or less. Let's also discuss why the other choices are incorrect. Choice 1. Dilation and curatage have been replaced by endometrial biopsy. However, it would be indicated if an endometrial biopsy is unremarkable, but the patient is at high risk for endometrial cancer given her obesity and postmenopausal bleeding. Choice 3. Hysterosalpingogram is a fluoroscopic procedure that evaluates the uterine cavity and fallopian tube. This study would be useful to evaluate for uterine filling defects that are suggestive of a space-occupying lesion or fallopian tube occlusion. There is concern that in patients with occult endometrial cancer, this study could disseminate endometrial cancer cells into the peritoneal cavity. Choice 4. Hysteroscopy provides direct visualization of the endometrial cavity and allows for a targeted biopsy or removal of a lesion. Endometrial biopsy is much less invasive and should be tried first. Choice 5. Transvaginal ultrasound can be used as an initial diagnostic evaluation of the endometrium. However, an endometrial biopsy is much more sensitive in making the diagnosis of endometrial hyperplasia or endometrial cancer. Finally, a bullet summary. Unexpected postmenopausal bleeding should be evaluated initially with an endometrial biopsy. For the second question, consider the following clinical scenario. A 66-year-old woman presents to her primary care physician for a wellness exam. She noticed mild spotting a few days prior to presentation. Her last menstrual period was when she was 53 years of age, and she denies any trauma to the area. She is sexually active with one male partner and does not use condoms. Medical history is significant for type 2 diabetes mellitus and hypertension. She is currently taking metformin and lisinopril. Her last pap smear was normal. She is 5 feet 5 inches and weighs 185 pounds and has a BMI of 30.8. Her blood pressure is 115 over 70, pulse is 85 beats per minute, and respirations are 15 breaths per minute. Pelvic exam demonstrates a normal-sized uterus with no adnexal masses. There are no vulvar, vaginal, or cervical lesions, and stool testing for blood is negative, 
and an endometrial biopsy is performed, which demonstrates simple endometrial hyperplasia without atypia. Which of the following is the best next step in management? And the answer choices are Choice 1. Anastrozole Choice 2. Estrogen progestin contraceptives Choice 3. Hysterectomy Choice 4. Magestral acetate Or Choice 5. Nepharilin The best answer to this question is Choice 4. Magestral acetate this patient's postmenopausal bleeding merits an endometrial biopsy to determine if she has endometrial carcinoma. Her results demonstrate endometrial hyperplasia without atypia, which should be treated with progestin therapy, such as magestral acetate. Endometrial hyperplasia can result in non-neoplastic endometrial gland proliferation and neoplastic endometrial changes. These findings can be determined by endometrial sampling, which dictates management. Postmenopausal women with endometrial hyperplasia without atypia are typically managed with progestin-only therapy. Progestins will oppose the continuous estrogen stimulation of the endometrium. The patient's obesity increases her endogenous estrogen production due to the conversion of androstenedione to estrone and androgens being aromatized to estradiol. This is accomplished by enzymes in the peripheral adipose tissues. Let's also discuss why the other choices are incorrect. Choice 1. Anastrozole is an aromatase inhibitor. Although there have been studies using this medication in patients with endometrial hyperplasia, this is not standard clinical practice. Choice 2. Estrogen progestin contraceptives would not be appropriate in postmenopausal women with endometrial hyperplasia due to the estrogen contained in this medication. Choice 3. Hysterectomy would be indicated in postmenopausal women with endometrial hyperplasia with atypia. It is also recommended for premenopausal women who complete a childbearing and have endometrial hyperplasia with atypia. Choice 5. Nafrolin is a gonadotropin-releasing hormone agonist that has been studied in endometrial hyperplasia. However, it is not standard clinical practice. Finally, a bullet summary. First-line treatment for simple endometrial hyperplasia without atypia in postmenopausal women is with progestin therapy. That's all for this review about endometrial cancer. We hope that was helpful. This is the MedBullets Step 2 and 3 podcast, a daily audio review session for MedBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for medical student education. As a reminder, you can follow along with these podcast episodes by reviewing the topics directly on MedBullets.com. You can listen to these episodes on the MedBullets website or phone app while reading through the topic. If the MedBullets podcast has been valuable to you, we'd be thrilled if you considered leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow, right here on the MedBullet Step 2 and 3 podcast.